Hi, and welcome to Fido, an audio adventure into fantasy, folklore, and fairy tales. I'm John, your host. Thanks for dropping in. Well, here we are, episode one of A Brand New Thing. I hope that uh, this will turn into something that lasts a little while. I hope it'll be something that will be around for you for some time. I figure, being that this is the first episode right out of the gate, that I should do a little bit of an orientation so you can kind of know what to expect and uh, sort of where this came from. Basically, during the quarantining and staying at home of spring 2020, I was looking for a way to entertain myself and maybe entertain others a little bit. So I started reading my own stories, or I read one of my books that I've written on Facebook Live. Kind of had a good time with it. And following that up, I just on a whim sent a message to the C.S. Lewis estate to try to get permission to read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They allowed it, and so I had the privilege of being able to do that on Facebook Live as well. During the course of all this, I found that I really enjoyed reading these stories to people, and I was having fun with uh, with just being able to present something like that in a time when people really needed something to distract them, something to entertain them, and it was it was a it was a good time. So that's really where the seed of the idea came from. But that I hope is just the beginning. We'll see where it goes, but for now, why don't we get into the first story? I decided to lead off with Rumpelstiltskin. Now, I could have gone with any number of familiar fairy tales. To be honest, I finally just picked one. I really don't have a good reason for starting with this one, other than it's one that most people have heard. Rumpelstiltskin is still fairly present today. Uh, he was on a TV show not that long ago. But this story, the earliest copy we have, uh, is from 1812. It's an edition of Children's and Household Tales compiled by the Brothers Grimm. Typically, it's associated with Germany, but it's got all kinds of variations from all over the place and, and, and very long ago. Rumpelstiltskin is a German name that means little rattlestilt. Now, it kind of alludes to a folkloric goblin uh, or a mischievous imp that liked to make noise and bother people by rattling objects, including stilts and poles that supported houses, hence the name. I think one of the most unusual terms in the story is the word mannequin. Rumpelstiltskin is referred to as a mannequin a number of times. I looked it up, and it refers to an old Dutch word that meant little man, uh, but also is related to the old English word man as well. Uh, it could be used as a derogatory reference to someone of small stature in the real world. But I think in this case, it really has more to do with the reference uh, to Rumpelstiltskin as this mischievous imp, this kind of uh, little impish creature from some fantastical origin. Uh, so it's really used in, in that way. The first use of the word as we know it, as a tailor or dressmaker's figure to build on, is around 1536. It's a fairly old word uh, and had a modern meaning even back then, but was also used in, in the way it's used in the story. Now, I did say that we weren't going to get too far into the academics of everything. So before I go down any rabbit trails, why don't we get on with the story itself? And now, presented 
as published in the 1891 first edition of Andrew Lang's Blue Fairy Book, Rumpelstiltskin. There was, once upon a time, a poor miller who had a very beautiful daughter. Now it happened one day that he had an audience with the king, and in order to appear a person of some importance, he told him that he had a daughter who could spin straw into gold. Now that's a talent worth having, said the king to the miller. If your daughter is as clever as you say, bring her to my palace tomorrow, and I'll put her to the test. When the girl was brought to him, he led her into a room full of straw, gave her a spinning wheel and a spindle, and said, Now set to work and spin all night till early dawn, and if by that time you haven't spun the straw into gold, you shall die. Then he closed the door behind him and left her alone inside. So the poor miller's daughter sat down and didn't know what in the world she was to do. She hadn't the least idea of how to spin straw into gold, and became at last so miserable that she began to cry. Suddenly the door opened, and in stepped a tiny little man, and said, "'Good evening, Miss Millermaid. Why are you crying so bitterly?' "'Oh,' answered the girl, "'I have to spin straw into gold, and I haven't a notion how it's done.' "'What will you give me if I spin it for you?' asked the mannequin." "'My necklace,' replied the girl. The little man took the necklace, sat himself down at the wheel, and whirr, 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 the wheel went round three times, and the bobbin was full. Then he put on another, and whirr, 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 the wheel went round three times, and the second, too, was full. And so it went on till morning, when all the straw was spun away and all the bobbins were full of gold. As soon as the sun rose, the king came. And when he perceived the gold, he was astonished and delighted, but his heart only lusted more than ever after the precious metal. He had the miller's daughter put into another room full of straw, much bigger than the first, and bade her, if she valued her life, spin it all into gold before the following morning. The girl didn't know what to do, and began to cry. Then the door opened as before, and the tiny little man appeared and said, "'What'll you give me if I spin the straw into gold for you?' The ring from my finger, answered the girl. The mannequin took the ring and whirr, round went the spinning wheel again, and when morning broke he had spun all the straw into glittering gold. The king was pleased beyond measure at the sights, but his greed for gold was still not satisfied, and he had the miller's daughter brought into a yet bigger room full of straw, and said, You must spin all this away in the night, but if you succeed this time, you shall become my wife. She's only a miller's daughter, it's true, he thought, but I couldn't find a richer wife if I were to search the whole world over. When the girl was alone, the little man appeared for the third time and said, What'll you give me if I spin the straw for you once again? I've nothing more to give, answered the girl. Then promise me when you are queen to give me your first child. Who knows what may not happen before that, thought the miller's daughter, and besides, she saw no other way out of it. So she promised the mannequin what he demanded, and he set to work once more and spun the straw into gold, and when the king came in the morning and found everything as he had desired, he straightway made her his wife, and the miller's daughter became a queen. When a year had passed, a beautiful son was born to her, and she thought no more of the little man, till all of a sudden, one day, he stepped into her room and said, "'Now give me what you promised.' The queen was in a great state.' 
and offered the little man all the riches in her kingdom if he would only leave her the child. But the mannikin said, No, a living creature is dearer to me than all the treasures in the world. Then the queen began to cry and sob so bitterly that the little man was sorry for her, and said, I'll give you three days to guess my name, and if you find it out in that time, you may keep your child. Then the queen pondered the whole night over all the names she had ever heard, and sent a messenger to scour the land and to pick up far and near any names he could come across. When the little man arrived on the following day, she began with Casper, Melchior, Belshazzar, and all the other names she knew in a string. But at each one the mannequin called out, "'That's not my name!' The next day she sent to inquire the names of all the people in the neighborhood, and had a long list of the most uncommon and extraordinary for the little man when he made his appearance. "'Is your name, perhaps, Sheepshanks, Crookshanks, Spindleshanks?' But he always replied, "'That's not my name!' On the third day the messenger returned and announced, I have not been able to find any new names, but as I came upon a high hill round the corner of the wood, where the foxes and hares bid each other good night, I saw a little house, and in front of the house burned a fire, and round the fire sprang the most grotesque little man, hopping on one leg and crying, "'Tomorrow I brew, today I bake, and then the child away I'll take, for little deems my royal dame that Rumpelstiltskin is my name.'" You can imagine the queen's delight at hearing the name, and when the little man stepped in shortly afterward and asked, "'Now, my lady queen, what's my name?' She asked first, "'Is your name Conrad?' "'No.' "'Is your name Harry?' "'No.' "'Is your name, perhaps, Rumpelstiltskin?' "'Some demon has told you that! Some demon has told you that!' screamed the little man, and in his rage drove his right foot so far into the ground that it sank up to his waist. Then, in a passion, he seized the left foot with both hands and tore himself in two. So there you have it. Rumpelstiltskin. Now, the first thing you might notice, and the first thing I always notice in fairy tales is... It's kind of a strange ending, isn't it? It's kind of bizarre, abrupt, doesn't really make a satisfying ending necessarily. And a lot of fairy tales as they were recorded tend to be that way. Now, I don't know exactly why that's the case. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of it at some point during this podcast. But for whatever reason, you often see an abrupt or strange ending such as this one. Now, in my opinion, this isn't even the strangest ending for Rumpelstiltskin. There are several, if you look around, several different ways that it can end. Of course, this one, where he stomps his foot into the ground and then, with the other leg, tears himself in half. Maybe that's normal behavior for an imp. I don't know. Uh, but also, uh, he has stomped in a similar fashion, but it creates a chasm into which he falls and then is never seen again. But I think the weirdest ending of all that I came across was the one that supposedly was the oral ending that the Brothers Grimm collected. And in that one, Rumpelstiltskin becomes angered at having his name discovered and flies out the window on a ladle, like a kitchen ladle that you would dip soup out of a pot with. Now, 
I don't know where that comes from. Have no idea. But it's something I intend to try and look into and maybe find some sort of meaning for. But I guess it's entirely possible that it's a strange, absurd ending, even back when it was being told that way. I don't know if it has any meaning. It might. I think that that's one of the things about studying and looking into these fairy tales that uh, can be really intriguing. You can learn uh, the pop culture references of the day, you know, something that made a lot of sense. Someone would have gone, oh, I get it at the time, but now it sort of doesn't resonate with us. So I'm always curious what the meanings really behind the references are. Now, one reference that I did pick up on in the story that leads me to think that there must be more references of that nature, kind of Easter eggs, if you will, in these old tales, is that if you go back to the first night that the Miller's daughter was trying to guess Rumpelstiltskin's name, she guesses the traditional sort of folkloric names given to the three wise men in the nativity story, in the Christian nativity story. Now, those names aren't listed in biblical references. Those are kind of traditional folkloric names. In fact, there probably were more than three wise men in that event, but that's what we have boiled that story down to. But that reference would have been something that a listener would pick up on and go, I understand what she's doing there. I see what those names mean. I know where those come from. And I think that that's probably something that we should look for in fairy tales all the time, because these tales were meant to be relatable to each other and interpersonal. And I think that those kinds of references, even today, are kind of how we relate to each other. We all know people that speak in movie quotes. We know people that, uh, you know, couldn't get a sentence out without referencing some kind of pop culture. I'm, I'm one of them. And the internet now is full of these memes and pictures and references that everyone sort of knows and everyone can kind of understand without having to do any sort of research. It just makes sense. And I think that that is probably something that we would encounter if we were living in the contemporary time that these tales are being told. Full of references, I'm sure. And I hope to pick up some more of those and figure out what some of them mean and come to a kind of a better cultural understanding of the time that the, that the fairy tale was told. Part of the exciting part of this, I think. So, here we are at the end of Episode 1, Season 1 of Fado. I really want to thank you for tuning in. I'm really excited uh, to get rolling on this. I can't wait to see where we end up. And I'm really looking forward to reading you some stories and hearing what you think. I'll be working on new episodes as quickly as I'm able. But until then, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you once upon a next time.